0: Welcome to the Hip Hop Minded Professional with me, Joshua Rogers, as the master of ceremonies. If you're interested in knowing how rapping, DJing, breaking, graffiti, and the hip hop culture can positively influence your mindset, then you are in the right place. On this podcast, I speak to various professionals with a background in hip hop and go into how this background influenced their mindset and careers and ladies and gentlemen welcome to the hip-hop minded professional uh today i'm sitting with someone who um a man of my own heart he's using hip-hop for change and yeah tell the people them who are you and what do you do
1: yeah, my name is Coffrey jay i'm the executive director and founder of hip hop for change we're oakland california based 501c3 that uses hip hop culture to advocate social justice and raise funds for you know causes that enrich the lives of marginalized and historically oppressed communities so kicking butt in the bay y'all
0: yeah, nice nice and how how long have you guys been doing this
1: a little under 8 years strong uh i incorporated on paper april 2nd 2013 uh but we started i, I started really solo by myself just an idea uh mm-hmm. i think it was probably the 22nd of january in 2013 i was opening up for rock kim uh and yeah i got a chance to open up the for legend. the guy yeah. um, but you know the company that was throwing the show wouldn't even pay me uh, for the show. They said they didn't know me. Uh, and I was pretty pissed because I had to borrow money from my mother to get gas to go to this show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and the company that threw the show, man, they sold this place out. You know, they had sold the place out. They made all their money. But me as a local artist that raps about my people in my community, I wasn't supported, you know, And this is pretty much the height of my frustration as a local political rapper, you know? Because if you're rapping about the community, then all those suburban kids who make up the most, like the bulk of the purchases they have, they don't want to hear you, you know? So I was trying to find my way as this political conscious rapper into the Bay Area rap scene. And unfortunately, there's three companies that own everything, you know? And they don't really care about our real cultural narrative. when I got this one opportunity from this one company, I thought was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. And they
1: didn't pay me. I was like, "Yo, no one is gonna help. No one's gonna help. Yeah, no one's here for us." So I had this idea because I just came off a, a four-year engagement as the the first black grassroots uh, coordinator for Greenpeace. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, okay. I ran the entire Greenpeace grassroots fundraising team uh, from 2009 to 2013, and I learned how to you know, run an office with a half a million dollar budget that employed 20 to 30 motivated activists that went out and had, you know, thousands of conversations a week and fundraise. So, nice. you know, nice. here I had this community of a lot of homies who are rapping about the same stuff I rap about. You know, hip hop looks way different in practice, right? In the yeah, community. Yeah. It looks like people try to talk about their stories. And all the local hip hop cats, man, we were struggling to throw our own events, not having enough money to get advertisements, to get people to know about it. You know, no one's getting paid, so we're all struggling. And so I was so frustrated about having this culture that has no financial support. Yeah. yeah. But then I was also had this huge skill set of raising a whole lot of money. And so that night, right after I didn't get paid to open up for Rock Kim, I just had this idea like, yo, I could use this whole skill set, you know, to fundraise, employ people, raise a whole lot of money. And then we could put that into the local hip hop scene and then use that power to actually do some good instead of just making a couple people rich. So that was the idea of Hip Hop for Change 2013, the beginning of it. And. Man, eight years later, we have employed over almost a thousand people Uh, from the Bay Area with a living wage. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've taught over 22,000 children, K through 12, the history of hip hop Mm -hmm. and also paid local Mm -hmm. artists uh, who were fingerprinted, uh, tuberculosis tested and, and trauma trained and informed and ensured to go into classroom settings and go teach these kids how to break dance, rap, do graffiti, DJ. But... Most importantly, just how to be themselves and express themselves. You yeah, know? yeah, Uh yeah. And you know, we also just you know give paychecks to hundreds of local artists so they can you know be a part of the hip hop platform. And, and all that comes to 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 focus that energy of the hip hop community on reinforcing ourselves, not reinforcing corporations who don't care about us at all. So, yeah, eight and- years. I'm I'm a little tired, <laughs> a little sleepy. <laughs> But I've never been more inspired, man. I've never been more proud of what we we can accomplish as 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 a people.
2: And and
0: and let's let's take it even back before those eight years. Let's say before before the eventful night of opening for Rakim. When uh, when did your your love for hip hop start? Like when 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 was the beginning?
1: You know, I'm I'm really fortunate to 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 be a black man growing up in the hood in America. You know what I'm saying? You, you won't hear a lot of people say that. <laughs> I'm <laughs> fortunate to be a black man growing up in America. But uh, you know, I'm unfortunate for a lot of reasons. You know, police brutality. I, I got beaten up at gunpoint twice before I was even 17 by the SF, San Francisco Police Department. Yeah. Uh, I grew up next to super toxic, uh, super fun sites. Uh, that are placed in black communities, you know what I'm saying? I grew up in an impoverished neighborhood dealing with white supremacy, you know, in every way, shape or form that white supremacy could affect us, you know, but I was lucky because I didn't have to learn about hip hop. I am hip hop, you yeah, know what I'm yeah. saying? Hip hop is my, I don't, I don't, I don't, I was rapping in the shower. I was freestyling in the shower. I didn't even know I was freestyling. I just thought that's what you did. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I've I never fell in love with hip hop. I've just always been hip hop. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm fortunate in that sense. Uh, when I started understanding what hip hop was, you know, you know, me being 38 right now, uh, when I came up and, and started really like love, like really falling in love with hip hop in a way that I know I can do it too is right when Tupac was going out, like getting real big, and then Tupac mm-hmm. died, and now mm-hmm. I'm in high school, and now we're hearing 50 Cent, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I that's, that's when I kind of came into it. So, I, you know, um, when I first started really consciously ingesting hip hop, it was that golden era where you could see cross colors. You could see, you know, Black Moon and Brand Newbie, and like yeah, you could yeah. learn about blackness from your MTV raps, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And then when I get into high school and I start rapping myself, you know, that's when all this gangster stuff came in. So I kind of went that way at first cuz yeah, yeah. I was trying to find mm-hmm. my my power as a young toxic man. You know, I did my I did my dirt. I did my I went the wrong way a little bit. My yeah, rap yeah. went there too. Um but you know, you can only lie about how many girls like you for so long. You can only lie about having money when you have none yeah you know, right? yeah, yeah, having yeah cars yeah, yeah. And you've never driven a car in your life for so long because that stuff doesn't reinforce who you are it doesn't enliven your spirit and that's really what hip-hop is about it's it's a it's a It's an extension of the self-affirmations that Black people have been using to keep their heads up in America uh, for centuries, right? It's it's no different from the call and response in the fields. It's no different from the blues. It's no different from us turning Christianity into gospel, you know, and baptism. baptism. It's no different from funk and soul. It's like it's an extension of our our expression of our humanity. So I, I never learned how to hip hop. I just always was it. Um but 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 reacting to that 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 kind of gangsterism is kind of what got me off of that path. I'm like, yo, I'm sitting here talking about stuff that doesn't, doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. And so yeah. when I wrote my first raps about the police kicking my butt, I was like, whoa, that's powerful. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. When I wrote yeah. my first raps about being a black man, I was like, oh, I felt I felt dr- African drums in my yeah, chest. Yeah, you know, yeah, know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I felt my ancestors like, that's what you talk about. You know, so slowly and surely, I started becoming a conscious rapper, you know, not necessarily just positive, but aware of my place in the world. You know, whatever that place might be. And as soon as I learned that note, my rap career was dead. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? As soon as I I said, you know, I want to start rapping about environmentalism and, and, you know, and eco justice. I was like, okay, these kids in the suburbs are no longer buying my stuff. And, And then that's also the same time I found this beautiful community that didn't sound like the radio. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't sound like what the radio was turning into. And I started seeing the hunger of these people who are putting their everything. They're working a crappy job all day long and coming home tired. And instead of going to sleep and resting, which they deserve to do, they have to put twice as much energy into their career. Right? And that career has no support, no help. And, you know, hey, you know, uh, I want to, we're throwing this rap show and I need you to rap. But I'm not gonna pay you, yeah. and I also need you to spend hours every night passing out this stack of flyers yeah. so everybody can come to. <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? Yep, yep. yep. So oh, you, you
0: need to fill. You need to fill the venue. You you are gonna be there. You gotta fill the venue. Here here's some. Here, you know, and it's it's good yeah. exposure. It's real good exposure for you. Real good yeah. exposure.
1: Yeah. You no, know, the one thing about it is because there is that exposure model, and I oh, God, it's the worst thing. Please, if you are listening to this, do not ever do not ever pay an artist with fake hopeful exposure but but what i'm talking about is not even those those party throwers that are trying to you know wiggle in i'm literally talking about our rap homies like me and my friends were trying to throw shows yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying and, yeah. and so it was even more of a communal thing than it wasn't even the promo it's just like yo we got to get people to see us so here pass these out too because this is all of our show yeah you know yeah, what i'm saying because yeah. we really didn't even have the venues and things like that you know what i'm saying so it was us trying to do these good shows. And then there were some other people who weren't rappers or hip hoppers that were trying to get us to do their shows for promo so yeah, they could get yeah. their money. And then there's the, the big old corporations that could care less. And and we're sitting here trying to have these, you know, we're sitting here having these beautiful shows where women can come and feel respected. You know what I'm saying? We're having these beautiful shows where people can learn about the community and learn what's going on in their local hood. But there's only like 20 people there. Yeah. You know what yeah I'm uh, and it's the most inspiring show ever, but there's there's we just don't have access to to you know the the bandwidth to to get our message out there to tell people this is here. Yeah. So how do you change? That? How do you build that? And that's what I've been trying to solve for the last eight years with hip hop for change.
0: And and let's say you uh, you you also did um, stuff for Greenpeace, and like you said, let's say yeah you you you're basically hip hop. You know where where. A lot of people think hip hop is uh, that's that rap music, but it's actually <laughs> it's actually a whole culture. So yeah. while while you were at Greenpeace, how how did the culture help you in that environment?
1: That was really interesting, man. It's a good question. That's a great question. Um, Greenpeace is one of the whitest places I've ever worked at in my entire life. All right, and I first off, I love Greenpeace. Uh, I love Greenpeace for how impactful they are at battling large corporations mm-hmm. and protecting mm-hmm. oceans and putting, putting you know, putting, you know, big mega companies feet to the fire. They're great. They do what they do well. Um, Greenpeace also has the same trappings of bureaucracy that a lot of huge organizations have, right? Especially in white supremacist America, where certain people uh, don't really go into nonprofit sectors very mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. because certain mm-hmm. people Aren't really supported now. Mind you, if I'm on the street and I'm asking for your credit card, looking like this, hey, let me get your credit card. Make a donation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In America, like, most people grab their babies when I say hello and then yeah, smile. Yeah. You know, I even tell people in America, I was like, I don't eat babies. Your baby's fine. I'm not going to eat your baby. Okay, <laughs> um, for real. Like people, literally, I've seen them put their babies in the fight or flight mode just because I say hi with a smile. Yeah, yeah. So deal with that Greenpeace uh, doing this work, but. But, you know, it it is a very, very white sector, the activist nonprofit sector here in America. You know what I'm saying? And we could talk about why or or why that is. But, you know, in Greenpeace, when I came in there, bro, I have never code switched. Well, let me take that back. Recently, in my adulthood, I stopped code switching. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I was in Greenpeace, Man, you know, I, I wore their shirt. They had a green, a Greenpeace shirt that was green, and I had on green Jordans and a green basketball hat to the side. And I walked in there like, "Yo, what's up?" Yeah. So yeah. I was totally different, right. You got all these hippies and 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 you know activists and and whatnot that don't look like me, and I'm walking in there with my hat cocked to the side, like, "Yo, what's up, man? We about to save the planet." You know what I'm saying? So it was a little bit different. It was a little bit different uh, than I think Greenpeace was used to. Mm-hmm. But I became their first Black director for a reason. You know what I'm saying? I got really, really good at that. I, I've always had this hustle and this acumen with talking to people and, you know, convincing people that they should give me all their money yep, for this yep. really good yep. thing, right? And it might be because of the community I come from. Um And, you know, my dad always said, you should be a lawyer. And I'm glad I used these these powers for good. Yeah, you know what
0: I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you, you took responsibility I got, a la Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, dude. Oh, man, I'm also a comic book nerd, so we can get going on that. But yeah, uh, with great power does come great responsibility. And and when you can see how much, man, when you tell a young kid from the hood, like, yo, this is how you can raise a half a million dollars in a year. Like, kids from the hood will listen to you, Yeah. right? Yeah. All our kids want to be bosses. And I was sitting there like, yo, this is a lot of money flying around here. I go out and stand on the sidewalk for six hours and raise like raised thousands of dollars for Greenpeace because I had a good story.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, And there's a whole lot of business that goes involved in keeping the lights on and keeping yourself protected while you can do that. Yeah. So essentially I never learned how to hustle from Greenpeace. What I learned is the infrastructure you need to protect the people who are hustling. Because a lot of black people are selling their CDs on Hate Street in San Francisco. And when the police drive by, they go, oh my God, oh, we got to get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Them. They'll give them tickets, right? Because you know, they, they don't have you know the permits, permits or yeah. Um but you know, I think black people in America, we've always had to have our own kind of street hustle, our street entrepreneurialism, because we've always been excluded and pushed out of the major industry. Yeah. So they've yeah. never allowed us to have easy access to permits and you know all the this stuff, and we don't have the the, the social capital that, you know, the, the New Deal allotted white folks to be able to start building in the 40s and 50s, you know yep, what I'm saying? Yep. So we don't have all this structure to help us sell our CDs, right? Um, but I saw this infrastructure at Greenpeace. So I think that's the, the most important thing that they allowed me to, to, to learn is just what it takes to organize five you $500,000 know, without doing federal time in the yeah. penitentiary. <laughs>
0: And and, and and here and here comes oh. here comes even the, the 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 even more important question i mean how did you end up at greenpeace what did, was it was it was it was it at the at the moment that you made the switch like hey i'm going to i'm i'm going to go more on the active side or did you yeah. go by Greenpeace before and then the switch came how how did you roll into Greenpeace i mean like you said you were the, yeah. the first the first black director so you can you, you can already yeah. guess how much black people go to Greenpeace cuz i would not, not think me. of going by Greenpeace <laughs> how not did you roll me. into and that they,
1: so i was so my hip hop around my 20s was taking me into the activist like direction, mm-hmm, like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And and mind you, I think almost every, I think all black people are activists, period. You know what I'm saying? Just struggling to stay alive is activism when you're a black person in America. Um, but, you know, being more conscious, being more on point, you know, and then fast forward to tw- 2001, when I got my butt kicked protesting the Iraq war for the first time, mm-hmm. I was like, okay. You know, I was like down with the system. Right. So I'm all all So from then on, I'm like raging against the machine with my hip hop and my voice. Uh, I'm going to protest uh, and I'm you know politically minded, going to school, uh, learning political theory. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I actually just needed a job. And, you know, Greenpeace hires everybody. You know, this grassroots fundraising sector is big and a lot of companies do it. Matter of fact, Greenpeace is one of the, the nicest companies that does it. There's a lot of for-profit companies that do it in America and mm-hmm. they're horrible with the way they treat people. Uh, with the, They're horrible with the the um, the little amount of training they provide people. They don't really take care of people. It's a, it's a weird industry, you know what I'm saying? But these jobs are always available. So if you don't mind standing on a street corner and talking to a bunch of people, they will hire anybody to yeah, do this. Yeah. So I literally needed a job, you know, I saw this, I'm like, yo, I can speak. I got, you know, I got the job and I thought I was only going to be there for a couple of weeks until I could find a a real job, a real
0: job. A real real job. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I've been, I've been doing that same type of work for 12 years now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so now, so actually you could, you could also say it's kind of a, a, let's say a, a combination. So, Let's say your your hip hop background, as in the sense of you just grew up hip hop, combined yeah. with what you uh, what you what you learned at Greenpeace, and maybe even the little you know the little seeds that were planted at Greenpeace, you know, yeah. doing things in a certain way, seeing how it works. That sounds like it's almost the the, the basis of hip hop for change.
1: It, it it really is, and you know, and I and I've I've sold everything, man. I've sold knives. I've sold drugs. You know, when I was young, I tried to sell drugs. I was no good at it, mind you. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work really badly. Thank you. Um, but you know, I think, like I said before, I, you know, we have this 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 ingrained genetic code of hustling in the hood something like that, so I've always been good at hustling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I sold knives, and I sold fake perfumes and colognes when I was in my early 20s, so I've always had this hustle. And then when I got to Greenpeace, I was just really good at it. I was like, yo, I can sell people anything. I could definitely sell the environment, you know what I'm saying? I can sell people knives and stuff they don't need at all. I can definitely sell them not wanting Africa's, you know, mean temperature to raise more than two degrees, you know what I'm saying? Like, I I can, that's me. You know what I'm saying? Selling polar bears to to liberal white people in California is a simple thing to do. Uh, you know, cuz people actually, you know, actually people think this type of work, this grassroots activism is hard, but most people, especially in you know where I live, they're looking for a way to be active. They're looking for a way to be good. Yeah. You know, they go home every night and see the news and see this negativity and what, and they're like, Oh, I wish I could do something. And then they walk down the street and they see me. And I'm saying, Hey, yo, let's do something. Like, as long as you can not be afraid or shy, like those are some of the most empowering conversations I've ever had in my my life. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually one of the most empowering things to realize that I can stand on a street corner for six hours and find 15 people to give me $1,000 and to believe what I say. And then 10 of those people will give me their emails and then five of those people will be in this movement for the rest of their lives. That's powerful. And that was addictive to me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, man, we can save the world. And I'm really about saving the world because if you want to Wanna save black people, you're gonna to have to stop climate change, right? If you want to like like that, it's it's intrinsically late, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Two suicide. So I'm all about that, that, that movement. And I fell in love with you know finding the man at an early age being a black man in in this really gilded city of San Francisco, right? And this really fake liberal bastion of white supremacy known as the West Coast. Uh, So I've been raging against the machine and just seeing the way that big organizations like Greenpeace can do it and what Mm -hmm. they're able to accomplish. Like people think you can't stop an oil company. We've stopped an oil company. Right. People think you can't shut down a coal factory. I personally rappelled 100 feet into a black void at 5 a.m. in the middle of the morning. In, in a coal plant that we broke into in Nash in, in Asheville, North Carolina. Like we at Greenpeace had 15 people break into a coal plant in the middle of the morning. And I climbed up on this stuff and repelled off a coal loader into pitch blackness. And there was FBI there, the fire department, Homeland Security, there's police, SWAT team, everything. And you know, it was crazy. We got arrested. I got, you know, Greenpeace helped me get out. Yeah. But yeah. they shut that, they shut that coal-fired power plant. Down six months later, and that coal power plant was literally poisoning a river that people drink out of. Like that was amazing to me that we could go make that change. And, and once I realized that we, as people, have those keys, you know what I'm saying, to that car, and we could drive that, I'm like, yo, let me go back to my own hood because we got a couple of problems to fix. Yeah, like yeah. Greenpeace, love y'all, y'all great, you know what I'm saying. This, this, the work y'all doing is important, you know what I'm saying, but. There's also this conversation of, if we're trying to fight climate change, why are we talking about polar bears? Why aren't we talking about black people in Africa? Why aren't we talking, if we're trying to fight environmentalism, you know, why aren't we talking about the fact that every toxic sewer treatment plant is in a black neighborhood or an indigenous person's neighborhood over here? Like, you know, working for Greenpeace, their office was in San Francisco in a black neighborhood, Potrero Hill, a, a formerly black neighborhood, let me say, cause they kicked us all out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the second most toxic Superfund site in the nation is about a mile and a half away from the Greenpeace office. That's the Navy Hunters Point Shipyard, where you know when they did all those tests in the Manhattan Project of mm-hmm, these nuclear mm-hmm. warheads in the Bikini Islands. Yep. Well, they took those boats that were radioactive and they took them back to our neighborhood and they rinsed them off in our bay, and now that part of San Francisco is radioactive. And all the Black people live right there. So the wind pushes that particular matter up on this big hill. And mm-hmm. half of the hill on this side has higher cancer rates. And this side where I live doesn't.
2: Doesn't, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is
1: that. But Greenpeace didn't really work with them. Greenpeace didn't do issues like that. And that really struck me, you know what I'm saying? That you can be on stolen land, right? You can be sitting here making all this money right next to these Black people with the most toxic Superfund site in the nation and you won't rock with me. You won't help me out with that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm glad I learned all this stuff and it's not to not Greenpeace. They're in their lane and yeah. their lane is their lead yeah. and they should stay in their lane. lane yeah. But it shows yeah. that, Hey, we got a whole nother lane that is wide open for like black activism, Brown activism, indigenous activism. And whoever gets in that space is going to make, a killing, you know what I'm saying, with the support. Mm -hmm, It's kind of like here, it's like we've commodified hip hop so much that it's just homogenous pathology, right? That doesn't mean that people don't want that boom bap no more, that doesn't mean that people don't want that the conscious hip hop heads died. That means they're being underserved, right? So we have a huge swath of our culture that is being underserved and whoever can figure out how to serve them again is gonna make a killing. And that's either gonna be for their own pockets Oh we can make a killing for our own people to lift up and lift our boats up. and that's what I'm trying to do man.
0: Ah nice, nice and I see like um just like I just said, you're you're really also like like on the on the activism, not only the 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 activism in the sense of you know the stuff in the community but also on yeah it's still stuff in the community, but also on 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 the foods that you eat. I mean you 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 guys also have a, a let's say a, a local farm.
1: Yeah. Well, and so our old office actually had a local farm. Mm -hmm. We actually, that community space got shut down because we were actually squatting on that. Well, not we, but the community members that owned that building, or controlled the building, were squatters. Uh, So we had to get out of that situation. Currently, we don't have a farm. Um, and that's okay, because we've got great organizations like Planting Justice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is like our sister grassroots organization that builds farms uh, in, in local communities, uh, you know, at schools and works with formerly incarcerated people to do mm-hmm. so. So we've got orgs that do that. One thing that we do to maintain our environmentalism is our Environmental Equity Summit. So every year we're having a huge hip hop event. Last year we had Talib Kwali headline. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And... We had local artists who rap about food justice, like Earth Amplified, for example. Check them out. Uh, and then we have lo- all the local environmental organizations get the table at the event. You know, collect the community emails and things like that. And halfway through the event, we stop the music and we put out chairs and have a fat panel discussion with local activists from all around the world who are doing this eco justice work. Yeah, so yeah. we don't have a farm, but we are we are pushing, pushing environmentalism. Yeah
0: pushing environmentalism yeah. and getting and getting that out there. And um like you said beginning you also yeah you guys also do uh lessons for for the kids. How 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 you know how 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 does that go? How how did you was was it let's say part of the original plan or did you just like add add like add on it? You know it's like building blocks. Was it one of the building blocks yeah. that came in after? Yeah, it's
1: that de- it definitely wasn't part of the original plan. Man, you know what i what i initially thought is so much smaller than what we are today and you know that's how things work like initially i thought we were going to raise money on the streets so we can have money to throw fat hip-hop shows Mm -hmm. and then get local Mm -hmm. artists paid and then maybe we can raise some more money from the shows and donate to different charities around the world that was the initial concept of hip-hop for change that has changed so much i mean there's so much more work to do than just throwing fat shows when it comes to hip-hop so You know, I'm out there having conversations and people keep asking me, do you teach kids? Can you teach my kids? Man, my kids need you. Can you talk to my kids? Can you take my kids? Have my kids? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And so eventually I'm like, you can only tell mothers and fathers and grandmas and grandmas no for so long. You know what I'm saying? Um, So eventually I said, yo, I bit the bullet and I researched how to develop a curriculum. Uh, I did some research and I, I realized that I knew I knew a shockingly small amount about my own culture. And so I had to go into the books and start researching and learning about my own damn history. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I went back into hip hop and then I created this modular workshop called the MC program. Mm -hmm. Theory of hip hop evolution, music and culture class, Mm -hmm. um, where at first kids would learn an hour about the history of hip hop. Uh, in a PowerPoint presentation form, and then there's four modules after that where kids learn a little bit about breakdancing, about ten minutes on the history, and then we move the chairs and they learn seven moves. They learn, it, you know, they learn it, you know, a, a quick six step. They're learning, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. how to do the, the 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 uh they're learning how to do baby freezes, you know, all kind of stuff. CC's it's just this little small basic steps. Now we're not, you know, we're not making any you know grandmaster breakdancers yeah, or anything yeah, with yeah. this one class. But we've probably started a lot of breakdancing careers out of these 22,000 kids we yeah, taught. Yeah. Uh, so they learn a quick hour of that. They learn a quick hour of graffiti, a little bit about the history, about the techniques and stuff. And then they get to take words that are empowering and represent their personality. Yeah, yeah, we do yeah. the same with rapping and get kids rap- writing eight bars. And then we have a yeah. rap battle at the end of the class. And then we do the same with making beats. Uh, we do the same with uh, you know doing uh, DJing as well when we can get the equipment out there too. Um, and you know that that became the biggest program we had, man. Like once you teach these kids, these kids are so primed for hip hop education and hip hop pedagogy that these teachers are like, wow, I've never seen these kids so focused. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you've never used their culture, have you, as a vehicle for education? <laughs> you should step your game up, teach. And culturally relevant pedagogy is so important, especially for young kids of color. Mind you, in America, uh, students of color have, well, black kids rather, have 50% less access to art classes as white kids. In America, half the art classes. Mind you, in Oakland, California, where I live now, 30% of kids have been diagnosed with PTSD, Mm -hmm, mm post-traumatic stress disorder, it's a higher rate than veterans coming back from war. Um, and what's the go-to to, 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 to relieve that trauma? It's expressive arts, therapy, right? Yeah. And mind you, I'm not gonna call our stuff therapeutic because in order to label your class therapeutic, you have to have a lot of, be- of, of boxes checked. So yeah, I'm not yeah, saying we're yeah. therapeutic, but I know that stuff is therapy for me just rapping and writing, you know, figuring out what I, what I, I, I think and figuring out what I believe. And, and learning, you know, if you're a hip hop culture kid, right, and you walk around with your hat to the side, but everybody's saying hip hop's bad. Hip hop's bad. You guys are thugs. You guys are bi-. like that. You're literally telling these little homies that they're nothing.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So
1: when I come into the classroom and say, "Yo, your culture didn't start in the late '90s on iHeartRadio, Radio," right? Yeah, your yep, culture. Yep started with Cab Calloway dancing in the 20s and 30s, you know what I'm saying? Your rapping started with Pig Meat Markham, and you can even go way back to people doing you know, all kinds of stuff. Your graffiti, you can go back all like your culture is rich. It's so rich. It's an unbroken chain of Black excellence, of resistance, of, of self-affirmation. When kids learn that, bro, man especially for young kids of color who don't have any positive representations in the American school system. So we go in there and say, hey, kid, your culture is beautiful. You are beautiful as you are. I'm not going to even tell you to pull your pants up if you don't want to. But I'm going to show you how you can speak your heart and speak your mind. And I'm going to show you how you can figure out who you are. Man, that's that's all you have to do for these kids. Because, again, especially in the hood, especially in these poor communities of color, all these kids want to be bosses. They all want to run their space. They want to have an a efficacy with their locus of control. And, and people think they're just trying to be hood, right? People think they're just trying to be this. But all our kids want to run and, and want to have some self-esteem and self-efficacy. So how do you teach them that? Well, we can either say, hey, don't worry about that, and then let them go look at the drug dealer on the corner who has the car. Oh, yes. Yeah, say, yeah. hey, this is where you find your true strength. Your true strength isn't because you have a car and people think that you're dope because of your car. That's actually the opposite of true strength. Your true strength is for you to stand in your space. And when we do that, man, these young girls in the classroom, I, they, they, you know, I hear it all the time. Wow. I've never seen that young girl be so proud. You know, now she's rapping about I'm a queen and you ain't going to tell me nothing. And I'm going to make it to the white house one day. And you know, this is what hip hop does. So it was a no brainer for me. And yeah, we didn't start out like that, but, but nothing usually, nothing usually ends up like it started. And and I'm so happy that, that hip hop community and and asks more of us than, than, you know, other communities might ask of other you know expressions but yeah, yeah. yeah they demanded that we teach they demanded that we educate and they demanded that we had that focus on mentorship because if we're not teaching the babies <laughs> i don't know what we're doing yeah you know what yeah I'm
2: yeah yeah
0: and that's uh, and and you know what i i, I like a lot of stuff that you're saying is um is the, the the same way how yeah how i envisioned it from from the company that i have so like you said like the like the, the, the what you do with the kids is you guys go into you guys go into the history and then you know give them some way to to like express themselves and actually what I do I leave the the history I leave that because I do one and what I do is I go into the the self affirmation piece because in in essence if you look it, it doesn't even it doesn't even matter which artist it is if you uh, w- what are what are they constantly busy with even if they're saying hey I'm going to I'm I'm going to sell 50 keys and it's going to make me 1 million at this and this (laughs) in time. Or they're saying, I'm going to do this and this is for the community. They say that so much times to themselves. It's basically self-affirmation. They're setting themselves up to go the route that they, that they have in mind or that they think success is. And I think that is also what makes that the, the culture grew so quickly on a broad scale because it's exactly what you said it's that 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 hey I'm going to I'm going to do this I'm going to do it my way and let's be honest everyone wants to do something their own way and that's that's yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't matter where you grew up or or how much money you have or didn't have in essence everyone wants to do stuff their own way the only reason they're not doing it their own way is because Let's say, okay, if I do it my own way, I'm not going to, maybe I'm not going to get this job or I'm not going to get this shot or I'm not going to get this shot. But in essence, from the instinct, you just want to do it your way. And hip hop just yeah. expresses well, doing it your way.
1: I mean, look at, look at New York, in, you know what I'm saying? In the early 70s, like, you know, we, didn't, we weren't, it wasn't, we weren't risking losing jobs. We weren't yeah. getting no damn jobs. You know what I'm saying? So I think, I think this, 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 this is such an important thing for people to understand why hip-hop has taken all of our kids. One of these artists I work with, Kiana Selena, an amazing rapper and poet from LA. She said, yeah, y'all had our ancestors, but we got your kids, <laughs> and that's true, yeah. right? Hip-hop just takes kids, because it is an affirmation, right? These kids are trying to find their sense of worth, their sense of strength, their sense of power, their sense of belief in themselves, regardless of what that is, right? And there's, there's this ingrained nugget of of self self self-worth self-esteem that's ingrained in hip-hop cultural practice like you don't go out there and be like you don't go out there and rap and say i'm not that cool i'm not (laughs) that right i'm not not the best
0: rapper that guy's better than me no one says
1: that that. And, and check this out so we come from impoverished communities where nothing says we're beautiful nothing says we have any strength nothing tells us that we're gonna make it but now I'm rapping and I get this tool that says, you are beautiful, you are beautiful, you're worth it, you gonna make it, we are dope. Like, that, why do you think hip hop takes everybody? Because everybody is looking for that platform they can stand on with that says, it is okay to believe in you, right? And that's one thing that we've always had to do as black people in America. So it makes sense that the cultural expressive forms that we, that we create are rooted in self-affirmation, right? And that's it. Again, all our young kids want to be bosses. They all want to run their own space and have their own control over their own locus of control. They want to have their own power. They want to believe, they want to know love, they want to have that that safety, right? It's just who's teaching them how to do that? Is it three corporations that don't understand Black people that are selling a bill of goods to 80% suburban white kids? about who black people are and they've been doing that in america for a long time yeah, right yeah. or is it the community of hip-hop that's talking about who we are whoever controls the narratives that your children have access to about themselves controls the direction of those kids so if we see our kids aren't doing so so well right now don't blame our kids don't blame the parents you know what i'm saying blame society for not telling those kids and showing them kids how beautiful they can be because when you show a kid what they can do all you need to do after that is get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Hip hop is a self-propelled pedagogy, right? There's no rap class. Well, there's rap classes now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now so, there're rap classes, but, but, but before, well, you
1: know what? yeah, but there was no rap class before. So how do we have all these rappers? Why does every kid in the hood want to be a rapper? And and then and then at the same time, you have people outside the community saying these kids aren't driven. They're not driven for anything. Like, they're not driven. You obviously don't know these children. So that's what we're doing. We're going into these classes and we're teaching these kids that, hey, your culture and your cultural knowledge is worthy. The vehicle that you have naturally is worth the time investing in so you can tell your story that is also worthy, right? Here's how you do that. And you don't have to worry about it. Do we tell these kids what their story is? Hell no, right? Because, again, I'm not trying to drive this. I'm trying to give them the inspiration to do them. And, again, we've got to believe in our kids. If people don't believe in our kids in the hood, y'all tripping. I believe in our kids in the hood. And I believe that they're inherently good. And I believe that they want to do the best. And I believe they want to stop climate change. And I believe they want to stop, you know, rape culture and whatnot. I believe they want to defeat capitalism. I believe all that. All they need to know is how it's been done in the past that's it and right now the american educative system is designed not to teach americans about the past yeah right yeah. and that's why we have all yeah. these you know nazis and we have all these white people that think oh slavery was just a long time ago you know but we also have these kids of color who think that all this stuff they see today is their fault and that's why it's really important not only to teach these young suburban white kids that hey that's not what hip-hop is y'all <laughs> right yeah, like, yeah don't yeah. treat us like that that's not what hip-hop is All right. But it's really, really important. And and it's our primary goal to teach kids who are hip hop culture that they are beautiful and that they can make it to Carnegie Hall, not playing classical violin, but they can make it rapping.
2: Yeah, You know, they can
1: can make Carnegie Hall with a turntable. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what they need to learn. They need to learn that you don't need to code switch. Right. You don't need to do all this wiggling and stuff to stay alive because we've built this base of self-determination where you can be yourself and we'll still give you a paycheck. You know what I'm saying, and that those spaces are so far and few in between in America for people of color to just be us. Um, yeah, you just have to set up that space and then let hip hop do what hip hop has always done.
0: And for and for you, like you said, you have to set up the, the the space. Now you've you've set up the space. Let's say for at least you're 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 still you know working on getting it the the space bigger. You know you're you're not you're not on the Greenpeace level yet. But you know you you not yet. You're working to get there, and like I think uh, either we said it earlier in this conversation or our pre-chat, where you were discussing like, hey, you know the the employees that you have and how you how you yeah, how you guys build that up, and how they actually come from from the environment. How how did you how did you find the the right people to uh, to help you on your mission? in the environment Um, that you found them in. Well,
1: I'll tell you this, people in America, people need work, (laughs) people need jobs. In my community, people need, they just need, they they need it, you know what I'm saying? So if you have a job out there that pays decently well, Mm -hmm. especially in housing market of the Bay area, right? Like people need work and what's, what's, most important for me especially if you have a job that says hey people of color right people of color are are welcome you know what i'm saying i'm putting these air quotes up because it's really hard to 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 create intentional spaces that mm-hmm. protect people like us uh, you know to, to not feel like i have black skin like i can forget that i'm black where i work at yeah, you know what yeah. i'm saying <laughs> such a unique space and when my uniform literally says n white supremacy I didn't have to work too hard to get people to want to join the fight for the culture, right? People wanted to do that. What what might be a little difficult is getting people out of their shells sometimes. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the cool thing about this is is that in in the grassroots fundraising sector, the average retention rate for an employee is about three and a half weeks. The average retention rate for an employee at Hip Hop for Change is about five and a half months. Oh, again, we're cool. not talking Yeah. Fairs away way. I'm talking about what's happening to my homie in my neighborhood that I'm about to go back to after work. You know what I'm saying? So when people come work for Hip Hop for Change, they're not talking about some problems that's a world away. They're talking about their own community, their own culture, the things that that they are pissed off and sick of. You know what I'm saying? So there's a little extra on top of that, and, and, and on top of that, like where. Where most of these grassroots fundraising organizations, their primary goal is not the like safety and well-being of their grassroots fundraisers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ours is. You know what I'm saying, like slowly over time, we realize it's not the shows that is the most important thing. The most important thing are these people who are trying to feed their families. You know what I'm saying? And for example, Greenpeace—they have fourteen offices nationwide. When I left them, yep. they're pulling in. A- uh, they were pulling in about $30 million a year, I think, with their grassroots street team, uh, employing almost 500 people. Um, and they were paying about half of, I think they paid 50% of their health care, which is generous. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If I had $30 million a year and 500 employees, I would pay all their health care. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I would yeah. take uh, and, and so, you know, when I started this, I, I saw some of the some of the shortcomings that Greenpeace had. In taking care of their street team. And I know that if I'm creating a team of people from my hood, right? Then they're not they're not secondary, they're primary. Like in my focus and my goal, that means I'm trying to take care of them. They're the people of color that I'm talking about in our mission yeah, statement yeah. that are marginalized. So we intentionally created this grassroots team that's employed almost a thousand people intentionally to take people from entry level green, never had any experience in the environmental, you know, in the activist sector, to, to like experienced and with letters of recommendation. So we're trying to get this grassroots street job to be the most empowering, uh, influential job of these people's lives that can take somebody from entry level to being a full fledged activist that's hireable uh, in the sector in perpetuity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty big. Um, and no, we're not Greenpeace size yet, but once we take over, you know, uh, San Francisco, Oakland. Um, we were supposed to be in LA this year opening up a second office. COVID-19 kind of got us off that path, but we'll be opening up that in 2021. Uh, and then Atlanta, Chicago, New York, miami day like every every place where there's a major Black population in America, we need to have one of this, one of these, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and our major population of color, you know what I'm saying? So uh, we're going to expand, we're going to expand, we're going to expand, and we're going to expand until the wheels fall off. Um, and then, you know, w- w- in Oakland, we have this office, and now we have fat hip-hop shows in Oakland. Now I have an office in L.A., and now I'm going to have fat hip-hop shows in L.A., and then Portland, and now New York, and then Atlanta, and then I'll have my tour that's going to be going around the nation. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be our, yeah. our Nationwide Environmental Equity Summit. It's going to be our Nationwide Women's Empowerment Summit, and we'll be able to have, you know, uh, Rap City, or you know, sad rock, or you know what I'm saying? Nitty Scott headlining our shows, and then you know, uh, all these other people, another Planet Entertainment. They won't be able to book them because these artists want to work with us for the culture. Yeah. Like I'm trying to take over, and then with these shows, we're booking the openers, right? We're getting all the money, and 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 guess what? On that note, you know half the kids that we've taught out of the twenty-two thousand kids we taught we've taught for free we don't turn down broke students right we're always thinking about how to make this free on our people and guess what our shows yeah talib kwali he might cost 30 bucks to go see him here when he comes out to oakland with somebody else's booking him but when you go to hip hop for change show it's free and it's all ages right because it's not the the community that's paying for you know, these big corporations to make money bringing Talib Kweli out here. Matter of fact, when we do our shows, we have these organizations that have resources like 350.org or Sierra Club, and they partner with us and they give us the money to throw this fat event. So it's not on the backs of these people who need the the, the, the fun and the loving time, right? It's on these corporations that want to invest in our community. These organizations spend a lot of money on diversity and inclusion and trainings and stuff like that when they can just give us the money and we'll throw a fat hip-hop show and we'll bring a lot of people of color, which some of these organizations have issues and trouble finding communities of color. That's why mm-hmm, environmentalism mm-hmm. is white right in America. Well, hey, we have a fat eco-justice show and here's a thousand people, mostly people of color, dancing around and learning about hip-hop and learning about activism. And then they can invest in these platforms and get access to those people, too. But predominantly, like, the the primary thing is connecting those people from the community to local organizations that are doing this work. So when Talib Kweli costs $10,000 for another planet to book or Hip Hop for Change to book, who do you think he's going to want to work with? Well, hopefully he wants to work with us because he knows his efforts can go, you know, back into the community. So that's what this is the model we're trying to build. We're trying to build something that for profit companies cannot replicate, Mm
2: -hmm, you mm -hmm. know,
1: another planet. not have free shows. I don't know how that would work. We can't. So how can we slowly take back the chunk of hip-hop that is more reflective and representative of who we are as people? You know, people say, are you trying to destroy the industry? I tell them, no. They can keep that $7 billion industry and they can, you know, they can pay Lil Uzi Vert and Lil Yachty and all these people. You know, I want Lil Uzi and Lil Yachty and, you know, maybe even Lil Pump. You know, I want them to get their paychecks. Let them shine. You know what I'm saying? I'm not worried about them. I'm not worried about them you know, selling that stuff you know, predominantly to the suburbs. It is, it is a horrible thing when people learn a fake narrative of criminalization of black and brown youth, but what I'm worried about predominantly and, 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 and primarily is making sure that we have our own platform to invest in and two things will happen. Either one, the corporate industry will realize they can make billions of dollars off of positivity too or they just won't even ever be able to do it again. And it'll just be up to a, a community from now on to, to, to push the line of, of real cultural hip-hop. So either way, we can take it back. We can build our platform. It's it's reinforcing. We've already raised almost $4 million for local hip-hop activism, expression, and art. We've, taught 22,000 kids K through 12, half of those kids for free. We've employed over a thousand people. All I need is people to join the fight for our culture. So I can do this in LA, right? I can go do this in Amsterdam. I can go do this in Japan. I can go do this in South Africa. I can go do this in Sao Paulo. I can like this. It, it just hip hop is everywhere. And 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 people need to know that they can use hip hop to fight white supremacy worldwide.
0: And, and <clears throat> that's a um, view we. We we, go, we got all the let's say the the plans. We heard all the plans that are set. Of course, you had um, a lot of stuff that you guys do is you know bringing bringing people together. And let's say now the current time climate, whatever we want to call it, is really not working in in your favor on that end. How how are you guys coping with yeah the whole the whole COVID situation? How are you guys going about with that?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> man! COVID, be still my heart. Um, COVID did a number on us. You know, in March, um, it, it was took about. It literally went. It was a two week process from being hopeful to having no hope, uh, and it was crushing. I, I, you know, in in two weeks, we lost thirty five of our coworkers. We had to furlough our coworkers because standing on street corners, having forty conversations a day, and then all coming back to our, our office on Wednesdays for a communal meeting is not <laughs> not is, the healthiest right yeah, now. Yeah. And that was really hard because our grassroots street team was responsible for about eighty percent of our income as a nonprofit. Um, it was also, you know, I think the thing that just brought the tears you know, from our, our leadership team is the fact that people didn't know what was going to happen, you know, so we had to walk them through it. And, and fortunately, our grassroots director uh, was able to help everybody and, and people were eligible for unemployment. Um, the only thing yeah. that you know, America's doing to help out any of their workers, because <laughs> we're not good with actually supporting our people in this country. But uh, our grassroots staff got on unemployment, uh, I think the thing that was really hard was our uh, education programs. We lost all our education contracts, um, and while we've been able to pivot and create this online distance learning for our students, that kind of left out our artists, act, our artists educators. Right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so for example, if you're a DJ, um, you don't know when your next job is going to be because you know shows aren't happening until the end of 2021. Maybe if we can get our stuff together as a country, right? Um, And then, you know, a lot of DJs get paid under the table. So they, a lot of DJs aren't eligible for unemployment. You know, a lot of our artists had tough situations. So we were really fundraising to try to create this online content to get our our artists, educators a paycheck. We've been hustling on that as well. Um, And, you know, our grassroots street team also helped us build up a donor base, a monthly donor, you know, a donor base, long-term support that we've come to rely on to To pay our operating expenses, and those have been slowly dwindling since COVID started. So right now we are underwater. <laughs> we're 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 uh, not in the black. We are in the red, um, and it's pretty interesting because you know that was March, and around the end of May when George Floyd happened, um, white America started collectively remembering that Black people weren't free still, right? And they started realizing that hey, it's going to take some some actual effort not just sentiment so we started getting this huge influx of financial support um and that support was going to our programmatic work like building a studio for our Mm -hmm, youth mm -hmm. or paying our artists Mm -hmm. educators that support was not earmarked for our operational expenses so right now we're in a unique situation where we have all this money to teach babies that they're beautiful but we don't have any like enough money to pay the artists you know educators to teach the babies that they're beautiful so COVID's kind of, you know, in two ways. COVID has has hit us. Uh, it's, it's caused us to have to st- step back, reevaluate. Uh, it, it's allowed us to pivot in ways that we've always wanted to, but never had the time to or the necessity to have to. Um, and for a lot of those ways, we're a lot stronger here. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just waiting to, to I'm waiting for us to get our stuff together as a nation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we can, <laughs> start to open back up so we can get back to things because right now it is tight it's really difficult um and i got an amazingly solid leadership team that i'm really trying to make sure that they are employed and they're keeping this work going so that's what i'm dealing with as an executive director that's why that's why we even got connected i reached out on linkedin i've been on linkedin reaching out to everybody in the world to make sure that people know we're here and we need people's help so yeah
2: yeah yeah and uh and
0: and like you said, you're um, you, you're you're reaching out to people also uh, also on, on on LinkedIn. How how did you let's say end up on LinkedIn? I mean, it's like for let it's it's a I'm gonna call it a real professional let's say networking tool in the in the essence that you know be, before basically people who were looking for jobs or who have a job in let's say high companies or whatever ended up on LinkedIn and I'm going to call it the hip hop guys for like, what am I going to do on LinkedIn? So how did you end up on LinkedIn as a hip hop guy?
1: Yeah. So I got on LinkedIn a little while ago. Um, and LinkedIn has helped me. Uh, for example, when I reached out to 350.org um, and surf Rider foundation to get them to become sponsors for our environmental equity summit, I found people through LinkedIn. You know what I'm saying? Um, And I didn't use LinkedIn as much as I use it now during COVID, but you know, LinkedIn is really good. Most people on LinkedIn, they don't really have like the social media savvy that somebody of my generation has. So uh, another thing is, is my profile looks hip hop. So it it looks dope to people in that space. Um, So I've used LinkedIn, you know, pre-COVID to do a lot of networking. Since COVID, you know, I have been I've been religiously using LinkedIn. Uh, I've been on LinkedIn daily. I, my coworkers are frustrated with me pushing LinkedIn on them so much. You know what I'm saying? But I do because I, you know, I was able to raise over fifty thousand dollars on LinkedIn since COVID started. Um, I've been able to, you know, get my my connections from like around three thousand to about eleven thousand connections right now, uh, and I've been able to get myself on. Mother Jones Magazine, all kinds of newspapers and the Black News Network, and I've been able to reach out to all kinds of people because LinkedIn is the spot to do it. I had a friend that said, if you don't want no money, don't get a LinkedIn profile, <laughs> right? But LinkedIn is a really good tool. And if you're an executive director out there, if you're somebody who's trying to start a business, you're a, a hip hop artist, I don't care if you're a break dancer, if you're trying to build a platform where you can monetize it, you need to do that and have a part of that be on LinkedIn. Because LinkedIn is professional connection. Uh, it's not just the people who are gonna be fans, but it's the people who can help help you get your message out there, the people who might wanna invest in your platform or, and things like that. And so I would go to LinkedIn and, you know, I saw, for example, Genius, right? Genius, uh, they had this Black Lives Matter post that said, hey, we're here for the hip hop. We're going to invest, yada, yada, yada. And so I went to Genius and I literally, when you go to that page, you can see all the people that work there. So I started adding all these people who work at Genius with this yeah, yeah. message, yo, we really need your help. Like, we really need your help. Now, mind you, not one person from Genius hit me back, which I'm really upset about, right? These organizations that are actually making a killing off the culture of hip hop, but wouldn't even respond to you know, a 501c3 that's teaching kids hip hop when they're putting statements out saying that we're gonna start investing in black culture because we don't wanna just be vultures, right? So I'm gonna, you know, still love Genius, love y'all for what y'all do, but I'm gonna reach out a second time and this time it's gonna be a little bit different of a conversation and I'm gonna put this out and I'm going to put it out for everybody to see whether or not y'all are going to respond. But there's a lot of other hip hop platforms that I've been reaching out to, right? And there's a lot of them that have responded and there's some that haven't, Mm -hmm. but this is what it's good for. It's good for finding out who you want to speak to. So when I go reach out to a foundation, like the Akhenati Foundation here in Oakland or the Zellerbach Family Foundation, who are some of the greatest foundations in the world in supporting Communities of color, uh, LGBTQAI folks, you know, just minorities, and, and just really speaking to these marginalized, disenfranchised voices. But you know, you go on these foundation pages, you see how many people work there, and then you add their program officers or their executive directors, and you can message them. And if you have something really good to say, people listen to you. You know what I'm saying? And I think that we've had something that's not only cool, <laughs> you know, it's really novel. Uh, But it's also something that I think a lot of people know is really needed. So when I reach out with this hip hop profile, you know what I'm saying? With, you know, that doesn't look like every other LinkedIn profile. And I say, yo, I run a 501c3 hip hop ed org that taught 22,000 babies. They're beautiful. I need your help. I get a pretty good, you know, response rate. So I've been reaching out right now. I just advocate for everybody who's trying to organize in any way, LinkedIn is a good spot for it. They're not even paying me for this. They should. But you, just, not. you
0: just you just gave them you just you just helped them out with like, I don't know how much more new people that are gonna sign up. Like, oh, okay, a bunch of yeah, a bunch I, of hip hop yeah. heads are gonna be like, oh, we can also use it like that. Okay, let's 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 hop yeah. on the platform. Let's hop on the platform and see. Yeah, but
1: but LinkedIn has allowed me to connect with all these organizations that are now sponsoring our environmental equity summits and our women's empowerment summits. LinkedIn has allowed me to connect with all these media or it's like, I didn't know that I could talk to people in Tallahassee, Florida, at the black news channel, but now they know me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, We're yeah. cool. I was yeah. able to get us in mother Jones and the daily coast. It's like, it's a really good tool, but most importantly, you have to have something to say, right. Whenever you reach out. So if you've got something to say, I think you should, you should go for it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And then um, the- so now you're, you're busy getting getting the message out there. I mean, uh, also what's 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 pretty important, not only getting the message out there, but also you know making sure that your 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 employees are taken care of, and basically, yeah, it's it's the the, the taking care of piece that is that is also real hip hop, as in 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 essence of that's that's what is also built about you know each one teach one. Help every, you know help help the ones that want also important want to be helped you know get to uh, to where they're going and that's I hear like a, that's a lot of stuff that you're doing you know like the, the, the people them who come and work for you you make sure that okay if they decide to leave when they wh- when they leave they leave with you know qualifications that they can actually better themselves and and get to let's let's call it the next level you know and that's that's like real this, those are important stuff to do. And also it's important that people hear those things that that it's like, Hey, this is, this is also happening also. And it's happening in, in the hip hop community by someone, by, by the culture, you know, the culture is helping itself get to the the next level, as I call
1: it. I mean, people, I know when we see hip hop in the media, it looks like an individualist culture. It looks like a self-centered egocentric culture. Hip hop has never been like that in practice, in reality, right? Hip hop has always been a collectivist cultural thing. Um, like I learned, I learned, that, you know, some of the organizing principles that I know from gang banging. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you don't leave your homies hanging ever, right? I remember you know, seeing my homie get jumped by ten people, and I was the only one there. Guess who got jumped with him? I got jumped with him. I was like, okay, it's two of us getting jumped now. Like that that's where I come from you know what I'm saying it's like I come from a community where we couldn't go out and just rely on society to have our backs we had to rely on our own energy and our own communal like you know co- you know collectivized co- collective energy like coming together to make something out of nothing right you know yeah, yeah. and that's what so, um it, it is a communal thing it's always been like that it, 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 I don't know it just makes so much sense to me so once I got those those really loving, compassionate concepts out of the whole gangbanging, you know, <laughs> envelope, I yeah. just really realized that's what black people have been doing since we were brought to this nation It's just taking care of each other. Right. Just, you know, trying to, you know, do what we can with nothing. And that's why as soon as hip hop started, what do you think the Zulu nation did? They said, OK, this is going to be. This is gonna be us coming together, right? You come in peace, or you leave in pieces, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 that's that's what's always happened with every organizing force the black community's ever created. It's always been about healing, it's always been about coming together. Everything we do, whether it was funk, disco, you know what I'm saying, whether it was like anything, you know, it's it's what it's always about. Our stories are always centered of, about finding our humanity, our, our worth, and, and finding a way to express our love for each other, right? Um, so yeah, it just makes it makes so much sense. You know, you get into the cipher, I dare you to come to one of our ciphers and start talking bad about women, right? You'll have some men MCs destroy you, right? You know what I'm saying? I dare you yeah, to come yeah. over here and start treating one of our, 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 our members of our community badly. You, they have a whole bunch of other people who will lift them up. If you see people crying in our community, they'll get hugs. Our, our, our culture hip hop is based on the circle. It's based on the cypher. And everybody's equidistant to the middle, to the energy. And, and moreover, like when I go to schools and teach rapping, like some of the most inspirational moments I've had is when people who weren't rappers at all, like, you know, you go to school and you go teach a class and you always know who the rappers are. Yeah, They're like, yeah, oh, yeah. I do this. Let me rap let me rap and i remember i went to this one class this there's this one kid and this a predominantly black and latino school there was one little short little white kid who i think he might have been even like uh queer as well but he was just really quiet in the corner and i finally got this kid to rap oh man i was trying to get this kid to rap in front of the whole class because you know it you this kid is like the quiet one in the class and all the other rappers who are real rap, they're like oh we the best rappers ever this kid finally stood up at the end of class. He's like, "I don't know how to rap, but I'ma try." Some, some, and he started rapping about not knowing how, but he didn't give a damn, and he was gonna try it. And by the time his eight bars was over, the whole class erupted, and they were like, "Oh!" oh and they started slapping him on the back too hard. You know, when people give you props. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Other kids who thought they were the best rappers in the class, they couldn't believe that they had lost the battle, right? From this little kid who, number one, is the only white kid in the class, maybe the only queer kid in the class, maybe the kid who never speaks up, maybe the nerd in the middle of class, but he won the whole day because that kid just overcame everything to come into the middle and say, I am worth it. You know what I'm saying? I am worth it. And that stuff is infectious, right? It's contagious when you see somebody overcome that, right? And that's what hip-hop has always been contagious to everybody else who ain't even hip-hop culture. They see us make something out of nothing. And they want that shit too, right? That's what they want too. And that's why hip hop is taking over everyone. If our kids aren't hip hop culture, they're hip hop curious yeah, at the yeah. very least. They see us shining and they don't know what's propelling that, that forward mom- momen- momentum. They're like, I don't even see the gas. I don't even see the gas station in the community. How are they riding so fast down the freeway? You know what I'm saying? That that's That's what hip hop has always been to me. Um, and it's always been that place that, that people have a shot if they want it. You know what I'm saying? And and, and that's all we really need as communities of color in America. It's just the belief in our own self-worth and the understanding that we can take our own damn shot. We don't have to take their shot. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to win with their yeah. shot. But we have our own vehicle and we can bet on ourselves, right? We can bet on ourselves because hip hop didn't invent anything, but it reinvented everything yeah. and it made it our <laughs> own.
0: That, I mean, that's, that's why I'm here, man. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and with that said, with that said, I mean, that's I like, we, we're not going to, we're not going to beat that in this, in this talk anymore. We're not going to beat that, but how, let's say, um, what are the, the top tips you would have for someone who, who is, um, thinking on, um, doing something like, like what you're doing, you know, what, 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 what are your top, top four tips?
1: Top four tips. Um, number one, if you are willing to take the risk to go forty dollars to $80,000 in debt over a student loan to take the risk that maybe after four years, you will get a degree that will allow somebody to maybe hire you out of thousands of people in this nation to maybe do a job that's gonna get you a vacation a year, hopefully two, right? And now you're at $80,000 in debt. If you're willing to take that risk and that gamble because you believe in yourself, why wouldn't you take the same risk on starting your own business or starting your own rap career and getting an $80,000 loan to become a business owner on your own business? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the number one. Because, like, I, I, I do believe in education, I do value college, but that, you know, I, I just want people, if they're willing to take a gamble on something like college, they should be willing to take a gamble on any dream they have. Uh, and we need to think of us, of college, not as something that has to be done, but as a tool. Right. And really, if you do that, you're you're as you're literally saying, I believe in myself so much. I'm a bank on eight years of this trajectory and eighty thousand dollars in debt. That's how much I believe in me. Well, it, it's a lot less of an investment to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? but it also might take more of a belief in yourself and your ability and your work. So the first bit of advice that I have to anybody is if you have an idea and a dream, you know, what I'm saying like always bet on yourself, always bet on yourself. You gonna bet on a four year college career and going into debt, why wouldn't you bet on yourself? Why wouldn't you do that? And that's how I was able to start Hip Hop For Change literally with not a penny, standing on a corner with a clipboard. And I said, I'm gonna bet on myself. And I've raised $4 million and employed almost a thousand of my community members since then. So always bet on yourself. Um, What's the next thing? Um, The next thing that I would say is smart goals smart goals is the most important thing I ever learned as a businessman. Um, any, any, any idea you have is only a dream until it's on paper, right? And then once it's on paper, it's a plan. That doesn't make it smart, right? You might be a dumb plan. So in order to make a, a plan smart, it has to be specific, specific to what you do, right? You wanna be a rap star? Well then, you know, learning how to DJ might not help you, right? It also has to be measurable, right? I wanna sell a bunch of records, That's not measurable. You know, I want to sell 10,000 units this year. That is, it has to be achievable. Man, I'm going to sell a million copies of my album. Probably not, right? You don't want to set goals up that you can't hit because the successes of hitting your goals is the dopamine and the serotonin pumps that you're going to need to get addicted to success. So make sure your goals are not small, but they are achievable. Uh, They also need to be relevant. You know, you might have a goal that you really want, but does that help you out on the pathway to success, right? It might be a secondary goal. And the thing that stops most businesses from happening is overexerting yourself and overextending yourself to too many things. So make sure that whatever you're putting on your timetable to be commit to be to be, uh, to be uh, done is actually on the pathway towards that goal. Cause if it's secondary, you need to get it out. Uh, and the last and most important is the T is time bound. Everything has to be time bound. Oh, I'm gonna have a business. No, I'm going to go fill out my articles of incorporation uh, November 24th. And then after November 24th, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I talk to the attorney general to, to fill out my statement of information by December 14th. Those are time-bound goals. If you don't have time-bound goals, well, you know, it's up in the air. Um, so most important thing is planning and goal setting and making sure that's written down and it's, it's a smart goal. That's my second thing. My third thing is is anything that you do, be your authentic self. You know what I'm saying? Especially for people of color, uh, especially for minority groups, do not code switch. Do not, stop, like, do not forsake who you are to make a paycheck, right? Do not forsake who you are to, to get a degree uh, and to get an okay from some other culture that you're okay to, to go ahead and work in their system. Do not do that. You have one life, your life is short. And it doesn't take being able to afford, you know, tickets to the Bahamas to be happy. You should be able to be happy sitting in a grassy field on a sunny day. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't, you don't need things to be happy. You need, you need, you know, inner peace to be happy. You know what I'm saying? So make sure that that wherever you do and whatever you decide to do, it fits with who you are instead of trying to make who you are fit with what you think you need to do. Because no matter how rich you are, you will be unfreaking happy Right, and being able to be your authentic self is the most important thing you could possibly do. Um, my fourth piece of advice would be, hmm, my fourth piece of advice would be this. Okay, and, and this is regard to starting a business or just life.
0: It could be life. Let's go with life. I'm, life is. Be- I, I see you beaming, so it's going to be about life.
1: Okay, um, I, I would say this. Um, yeah. Man, get comfortable being completely uncomfortable is the most important thing I could ever tell somebody to do. Life, if you are comfortable, you are dreaming small. If you are comfortable, you are not, you're not seeing the beauty of the world, you know what I'm saying? If you are comfortable, you're not on the right pathway that's going to take you to the most success you can have nothing about the road to success is comfortable. Nothing about getting rich is easy. Nothing about getting smart is easy. Nothing about finding love is easy. Nothing about finding content, especially in this damn society, is easy, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like people say, oh, I can't get a date. Yeah, you can. You just have to go ask. If you ask 100 girls, okay, you want to go out and have dinner? You'll have 15 dinners, period. That's just the way it works, right? If I go stand on the corner and say, hey, do you have a dollar? I'll get dollars by the end of the day. But if I smile and say, hey, do you have a dollar? I'll have more dollars. If I go, hey, how you doing? Hey, you got a dollar? I need to go buy some food. I'm going to get more dollars. So it doesn't mean that, oh, I have to be special in order to get dollars. It just means I have to have certain skills and put myself out there. You know what I'm saying? Um, And that's an uncomfortable thing for people to do is to put themselves out there. But once you get used to it, it's also the most rewarding space to be. It's the most fun space to be, right? That's why people go on roller coasters, right? It's not because you think you're going to die. It's because you think it's fun. But but, but starting a business is uncomfortable, right? Going to, to college for the first time and you know, signing the paper saying you're going to debt that's uncomfortable, but you got to do it. There's no growth in comfort, uh, especially not for people of color and especially not for minorities. There's no freedom and comfort, you know what I'm saying? There's none of that. So if you are not scared to death of your dreams, you are not dreaming big enough, you know what I'm saying? And the only way you mitigate that fear is through smart goals and planning, you know what I'm saying? But make sure you're uncomfortable, whether that is, you know, you're a man and you're having conversations about patriarchy and it's uncomfortable, go through that uncomfort. If you're uncomfortable, move through it until you're comfortable with it so you don't have to be uncomfortable no damn more. Or you can just be surrounded by uncomfort and be stuck in this uncomfortable box your whole life. And instead of going out to that, 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 that great unknown. All right. So those are my, my four rules (laughs) Uh, impromptu off the cuff
0: off, off, just like that. And let's say we're going to be running off. How can people best contact you? Where can they find you? What what are all your channels that hip hop for change? And Coffrey is find is findable on.
1: Well, you can always find me by my name. I'm like highly Googleable now, <laughs> so you can find me by just typing my name to any platform. It's pretty unique. So I'm on all social medias, Coffrey J. But really, don't even worry about me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 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 small compared to my culture and my community here in San Francisco Bay Area in Oakland that we're building up. So real talk, just go to HipHopForChange.org. Um, it's first thing you're going to see in your top left or right is the subscribe, subscribe to our, our newsletter button, like subscribe there. We don't send too many emails, but they're about the beautiful stuff we're doing, you know, fighting for our culture. They're about our events, our shows. Uh, even if you can't come to our events and shows, if you're a world away, we still send you really cool stuff that's going on. Cool stuff you can tap into. Uh, and I think the most important thing that we give people is hope, you know, the hope that this is totally possible to take our culture back because we're not outnumbered, we're out organized. That's it, we're not outnumbered. We're not outpowered, we're just out-organized. So I think the first thing you do, go to hiphopforchange.org, subscribe to our newsletter, right? You can also type in hiphop4 with the number four or for change.org.com. we got them both. But you can type that into Facebook, like us there. We got a nice community there. We got our Instagram, which is on point. So if you like Instagram photos, we got beautiful pictures of babies break dancing and all the activism there. Uh, we haven't made TikTok yet, but follow us everywhere else And you can really just search hip hop for change and look at all the cool articles and news uh, that we've been able to, to, to uh, have created over the time. We've done a lot of good work here. So, yeah, just check us out on the website, um, Subscribe to our social media. Follow us. And, and most importantly, I would say a nonprofit only needs two things. One is people to know about them. And the second is money straight up. Uh, And when people donate to hip hop for change, it's my duty to make sure that your dollar goes furthest here than it could anywhere else. And in terms of teaching, you know, hip hop kids that they're beautiful, and that they can use their voice, not that they can use, but that their voice is already a, a force of good. You know what I'm saying? Like, we'll do that better than any other org can. So we do need donations right now. We are a little underwater. We are hurting, uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to give anybody the sense that we won't be here in a couple of months. Because come hell or high water, we will be here. Um, I just. We just need a little help, so it's less difficult. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Help us yeah. out if you can, um, and yeah, join the fight for our culture.
0: All right, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and don't forget, you know, go out there. Google hip hop for change. Go check it out. I mean, you're going to find them. You're even going to find an awesome TEDx talk and I'm not going to ruin it. Just go and check it out. I mean, I, I, that's just the first thing I saw. And I was like, okay, I got to connect with this guy and just go ahead, you know, help them out. I mean, do it for the culture, but also do it for the wonderful things that it'll bring us, as a community, a worldwide community. I know that's the that's the most important thing, and yeah, that's that's what they're all about, and that's what I'm all about. So it was wonderful talking to you. I mean, it's uh, it's it's I'm loving your energy. I Maybe mean, we had we had a chat before, before the before before the podcast. We're probably gonna have a chat after the podcast. But awesome, keep doing what you're doing, and like I said, everybody. Go and check them out, and I'll be, well, you'll be hearing me and whoever is my next guest on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hip Hop Minded Professional. Make sure to subscribe at your favorite streaming platform so that you don't miss the next episode. And make sure to visit hiphopculturecoaching.com for more information on how hip hop helps your mindset.